Caltech listeners, I'm your host this week, Hayley Levine. This is the podcast where we tackle some of the trending topics, ideas and best practice in health and social care. This week, I'm joined by Chloe Weatherhead, Head of Customer Experience at Radar Healthcare. So Chloe only joined recently, um, but before Radar Healthcare, spent 13 years working across sales, project management, content and resource for an e-learning provider. Chloe's role is all about managing our customer journey, ensuring essentially that we give our partners the best experience that they can have. Outside of work, Chloe runs twice weekly, hard work, (laughs) with a local running club. She likes gardening and interestingly, she has a small business making glass products, which she sells for charity, which is lovely. Uh, She also, which is very interesting to me, has a dog called Ludo. Now, her description of Ludo was total carnage. Now, I have a dog called (laughs) Archie. He's a golden retriever and he's 10 months old and he is, well, hard work is putting it lightly. Yeah. (laughs) But they're worth it, aren't they? Yes. I feel your pain, though. (laughs) Well, when you're on work calls and you have to (laughs) apologise for the fact that your dog's being naughty in the background. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for joining me today, Chloe. So today I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on implementing systems, some of the top tips, some of the challenges that social care or health and social care organisations might face, um, and essentially what, what should they consider when, when implementing a system like ours. So to start, I'd just, it, I'd just like to get your, your opinion on what exactly does the onboarding process look like for a system like yours? What does it entail? What do people need to think about? Okay. Um, I think as with all processes, it is entirely dependent on the organisation. And I think that the mistake a lot of organisations make is they try to mirror what other organisations have done. What they need to do is take a step back. So one of the first things that we always advise people do is identify the outcomes that they're trying to get to. So I think people make a decision or are told that they're going to bring a system in and they immediately jump to launching it and everyone using it and it being a really happy family and it's, it's all going to be absolutely brilliant. What they need to do is take a step back and understand where they're trying to get to, why they're trying to get there, why they've decided on a system in the first instance and work backwards to make sure that they're able to achieve that. So you need to make sure that the system or systems you've chosen will help you to meet your outcomes. That is the first question that you need to be asking. You need to make sure that you've got a really strong implementation team um, because they are going to champion the new system once you've chosen it. They'll have to have an internal sponsor. They'll have to have a project manager. They'll have to have someone who's involved quite heavily in integration, making sure that any integrations with other systems are sound and work how you want them to work. And that integration team is responsible for making sure that the project is resourced properly, um, that there are no conflicts in what you're trying to achieve with other parts of the business, um, that you have a very solid succession plan in place so that if people leave the business, it doesn't have a negative impact on the project overall. Um, They need to look at communication strategies and make sure that the communication strategy easy for me to say, um, <laughs> is in place right at the beginning of the project but is continues throughout the duration of the projects and beyond um, to make sure that everyone's engaged but also to make sure that those outcomes that you've agreed at the start of the project aren't lost or forgotten. Um, I would always recommend that people run a pilot 
um, before they go any further with the project and make sure that they are engaging with all the stakeholders and that they're gathering as much feedback as possible, even if that's negative feedback. Feedback is a good thing because you can work on that and you can learn from that. You need to be really honest and transparent um, and you need to explain to all your stakeholders why you've done that what the benefits are for the business, what the benefits are for them as an individual, how it will help them to do their job and free the time that they need to, to do their job as they want to do it. Um, I think sometimes people go in with, with sort of rainbows shooting out of their eyes and they want it to be all perfect and they think that bringing a system in is going to make everything better. And it is very useful to recognise that it's going to be really icky at times. It's going to be difficult. You're going to feel like you're pushing a boulder up a hill sometimes. <laughs> but that's fine. That's part of the process. Um, and it's only through engaging and encouraging questions and proactively acknowledging and addressing concerns that you're able to do something about that. The other thing we always say, and I do think it's really important, is... The go live point is only the beginning of the process. It's not the end of the process. So if you keep things as simple as possible, do your go live and then build from that, you're going to have a successful project. If you go live and then everyone walks away and gets on with their lives, it's not going to work out. Mm. That's really interesting, actually. Some of the, like, where you say they need a succession plan and they need um, to think about the goals beforehand, would you say that they should think about that before picking a system or would you say that actually work it out with with the system you've chosen so yes they'll know they want a system and they want a system for this reason but when yeah. you're actually succession planning would you suggest that they do that with the company so with radar healthcare for example i think that um a good system provider will want to work in partnership with you to make sure that that is a success so if you have chosen a system and as soon as you've paid the invoice that provider has walked away mm. um you've probably chosen the wrong system it's not going to work out for you long term um the the provider that you're working with should be as engaged as you are in the success of that system and part of that should be looking at succession planning looking at communication strategies asking what your outcomes are short and long term at times they should be driving you crazy asking why but that's their job that's that's how it's going to be a success um so it should be a partnership approach at every step of the process if you don't feel like it's a partnership approach if you feel like you're doing all the work and you're not getting any responses if you're not getting the level of customer service that you would expect to achieve recognize that you may have made a mistake and do something about it yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. And I think maybe that could be a factor to why people are sometimes scared of changing systems. But we do see in the industry, especially, a lot of fear around making that decision to change a system or even bringing a new system in. Even yeah. though they can see the benefits, people people do have that general fear of, of taking that next step. Why do you think that is and what do you think would, would help organisations to take that next step? I think that... Everyone is has an element of fear when it comes to change because if you're changing something, there is always going to be something that is unknown and as people, we have a fear of the unknown. So if, you're not, if you don't have something that you're nervous about when it comes to change management, 
um, again, you've probably got rainbows shooting you out of your eyes and, you, and you're not taking it seriously. So I think if you are looking at change management, you should have a plan for change management. You should see it as a long-term strategy, not a short-term fix. And there are loads of different models out there when it comes to change management. Um, but fundamentally, it comes down to four key factors. So the first one is that you need to understand the change that you're undertaking. You need to be honest and transparent as to why it's happening and what you need to do about it. Again, you need to look at the outcomes you're trying to achieve. You need to recognise what what the negative outcomes would be if you don't make that change and share that information with everyone um, so that everyone's on the same page. You need to recognise the benefits both to the organisation and to the individual's working within that organisation and to their customers and service users, their residents as well. You need to recognise how it will affect how people work and what everyone needs to do to make sure that that change is successful at all levels across the organisation. And again, that could include both your end users, but also your residents, your customers, your service users as well. Once you've done that piece of work, you need to plan it properly. Um, you need to make sure that you've taken a step back from the process, you've looked at the bigger picture and you've put a plan in place. And that would include identifying sponsors, looking at involvement, engagement, looking at um, impact measures. Once you've done that, once you've got a plan and everyone's happy with the plan and everyone's bought into the plan, um, then you need to start implementing the change. So it's quite a long way down the process before you start doing anything about it. Um, So when you're implementing the change, you will look at what needs to happen, why it needs to happen, make sure everyone's engaged with that. Um, You need to look at stakeholders again. You need to define their level of involvement and their responsibilities. You need to look at training. There will always be an element of training, um, however wide the system is spread. There will always be some training in there, so you need to look at training. You need to recognise that everyone learns differently, and you need to make sure that you've counted for that again succession planning in there as well so you don't lose that um you need to find ways to change people's habits so that this new system becomes the norm and make sure that you've put that in place and then you need to support people through that process and recognize that some people are going to hate every single minute of it once you've done that then you look at your communication and that's when your communication strategy comes in but it's really critical that your communication is clear and relevant to the people that you are talking to and are communicating with. You need to make sure that they understand what you want them to do and why you want them to do it. Um, And you also need to think about your tone. There's no point being dictatorial about this change and just forcing it through because if you do that, you might have a brilliant system that is launched but it's not going to get used and then it's going to fail anyway. So why take that approach? You need to look at the emotional reaction you're receiving and amend the tone of your communication to support that emotional reaction. And then again, look at linking the changes to your outcomes and what you're trying to achieve and get people bought into that bigger picture. Um, The other thing that you have to remember is at times it's going to go horribly wrong and you're going to have setbacks and that's absolutely fine. As long as you acknowledge that and plan for that, it will work out okay in the end. That's really nice. You're giving me confidence to change the system. Um, You said that um, sometimes people will hate every single minute of it, which is true. You know, when some people can take change, some people hate change. Yeah. 
what would you say to that person that absolutely hates it, doesn't want to do it, really, really is against everything? How would you turn them around? <laughs> it's, it is really, really difficult. It's always difficult to change people. You are daft to think that you're always going to change people. Um, what you have to do is acknowledge their concerns and then decide what you're going to do as a result of those concerns. So whenever you implement change, you're always going to have the really excited people that are up for anything um, who are quite happily bounce along with whatever mm. change you decide. And they're the people, um, that they're the sort of innovators in the process. So you can, you can test it on them. Um, but in testing it on them, recognise that pretty much 90% of the time they're always going to love it because they love change and they love things like mm. that. So that's fine. Um, you're going to have some early adopters. So they're the people that are willing to have a go and their opinions have a massive impact on whether other people are going to have a go as well. They're probably your champions. They're the people that you pilot it with. Um, you're also, once you've done that, you're going to have the early majority, you're going to have the late majority. When you get into the point where you've got the late majority, um, they only start to use a system where they're running out of options and you've got to decide whether you want to offer that as a solution for them. Um, so when you get to the late majority, they will continue to use the traditional system until either they recognise that the traditional system is of no value to them anymore or that traditional system is removed as an option for them. Mm. Um and then you'll have people who will literally not use the system until you sit them in front of it and force them to do it. And you might, you know, you might have to handcuff to them to the table or something <laughs> like that. But I think as long as you recognise that everyone's different and you plan for that, that's absolutely fine. We'll get to the point with most systems that if you want absolutely 100% of the people to use it, you're going to have to take the other systems away. Fair point. How about people on the front line, people dealing with patients, residents, people that may not necessarily have time to champion a system or um, or don't don't perceive it as part of their role because they they see literally dealing with patients as their role, yeah. whether it's even a patient um, record system. So obviously they have to use it, but they're not thinking system, they're not thinking technology, they're thinking people care. How, how would you engage with them? You would look at the value add to that individual so um if you look at the radar healthcare system for example one of the things we're quite keen on is selling the positive outcomes of using that system as opposed to the negative outcomes so typically where you've got a compliance system people think compliance negative i'm going to get whacked over the head with a big stick every time i do something wrong and it's written in stone if you look at the positive outcomes we encourage people to record compliments as an event and people love giving compliments it's quite it's quite addictive to give people compliments so if you can sell the positive aspects of that system to those individuals if they start to receive compliments as a result of using the system if they start to see that they're able to save time in reducing the amount of paperwork they need to do because systems are integrated so they all talk to each other so you're not having to do something 10 times then they will see the value to their role. It will free up time so that they're able to put more time into caring and helping people, which is, at the end of the day, that's what we want them to do. That's what they're paid to do. And over time, they will see the value of that. Um, but you've got to find what is valuable to them. You've got to find out, you've got to talk to them 
and understand what they need and what they want and how the system can help with that and then sell the system to them. You're always going to have to sell it. Same, I guess, when a supplier has to sell to a business. Yeah. It's about selling the benefits and what what it means to them. It's not There's no generic conversation when it comes to something like this, is there? No, and everyone's different. You have to recognise mm. that. Some people will find it beneficial that they've got more time to care and help. Some people will find it beneficial that they are doing less paperwork overall. Yeah. Some people will find it beneficial that they're getting loads of compliments and people know what such a good job they're doing. Everyone's going to have their own benefits. Yeah. That's where you've got to recognise individuality and communicate with them. Yeah. It's always a tailored approach with anything like this, isn't it? Is, it? But, it is. Um, coming back to the people, you see, you sort of touched on it before around the kind of people that need to be involved in a project like this. What if... Um, there's three projects going on and you can't pull a project manager off or you're a small business so you don't actually have someone dedicated what would you what kind of people what personalities what what I guess who needs to be involved in a project like this um I think job role wise it is beneficial to have someone who's going to sponsor the project and it is beneficial for them to be at a senior level so that they're able to understand how the system fits into the overall business outcomes, the business strategy, um, and can take a step back and, and sort of horizon scan for you. The other good thing about having them at a senior level is they should be able to clear the way, they should be able to remove blockers for you as well, which is incredibly beneficial. And they should be able to look at the whole organisation to remove that siloed working that you can easily fall into if you're not careful. As well as a sponsor, I would recommend having a project manager who has time to dedicate to the project, not just a project manager who it's another thing on their list of things to do, basically. Um, again, the project manager should be looking at the whole organisation and they should be able to remove blockers to the project for you. I would recommend having some champions and the champions are typically the really enthusiastic people who love change and are willing to give a go and um, know a lot of people across the organization quite chatty willing to talk to people always volunteering always sort of ready to give a hand um, they would be your champions get them involved as quickly as possible because they start to spread the good news for you so they really help with their communication strategy um, they will always also be able to identify the people that are going to struggle with the system so that you can start to put some extra support in place if you need to. And then get some people who are on the front line and sell the benefits to them as quickly as possible, again, so that they can help with that engagement piece and they can start to spread the good news for you as well. So talk to me about timescales. What sort of timescales should someone expect? Timescales are tricky um, because... It's like saying how long is a piece of string. Um, it is completely dependent on the organisation. So if you are working with a system supplier, I would expect them to be able to provide a template project plan for you, which would be able to break down the, the sort of stages within the project and give you some estimates as to how long each stage takes in an ideal world. Um, but you do have to consider that to be a... It's a template, it's not, it's not set in stone for you. Um, what you will need to do as an organisation is to look at what you need to do, 
who needs to be involved, if there's any barriers in place, um, what you need to do to clear those barriers. And those barriers could be integration with other system. It could be that you've got a massive recruitment drive at the moment and that's taking up all your time. It could be that you're opening up a new care home and you need to concentrate on that. So be honest about what those barriers are and make sure you plan for them accordingly. Don't try and force a system through at the same time as doing everything else. Um, the other thing it's really useful to look at is to look at if you have any key dates in mind. So, for example, if you're in um, health and social care, you might have an inspection that you're aware of. Don't try and implement the system at the same time as doing an inspection. Do it afterwards. Mm-hmm. You might have a big staff event in a year's time and that would be an ideal platform to launch the system from so let's work towards that date so what your system um your chosen supplier should be able to do is to work with you to identify what those dates are and build a project plan around those dates to make sure that it's realistic um, and that it's achievable for everyone involved and then take it from there yeah, so you touched on a few barriers that might come up. Is there, are there any particular challenges that organisations might face that are you know, typical, the biggest challenges, the top three even? Top three challenges. <laughs> well, that's tricky. Um, I think the first challenge is um, end user engagement, always. And communication strategies will help with that. Getting your champions on board with help with that. Being realistic will help with that as well. But that is always going to be one of your biggest challenges. Mm-hmm. I think, especially for larger organisations, looking at what other systems are in place and how this new system will integrate with those systems, because what you want to do is might make life easier, not harder, is always going to be a challenge. And actually, it's something that people try to put off as long as possible when they're, when they're implementing the system. So they know they need to look at system integration, but they don't do it until they have to. And that's quite often a mistake because there's a lot of work involved. Um, so I think you need to look at what systems you have, what your source of truth is, and how the system can work with that. I think that's incredibly important. And then I think the final challenge is um, that people have a lot to do. So organisations have a lot to do with. There's lots of conflicting priorities. There's lots of barriers. Individuals have a lot to do and they need to do the day job as a priority. So trying to fit something new in amongst that can be really difficult and can be quite challenging. But that should be something that your system provider is able to help with. There should be a consultative approach. I would expect them to have project managers in place. I would expect them to have customer success managers in place. And they should be focused on supporting you in overcoming those challenges so that your system launches a success. Yeah, I know you spoke to um, Mike Taylor, our CTO, on a previous episode about integrating systems, and you mentioned that as one of the biggest challenges. Um, And I think people can maybe find integrations a scary word, Yeah, but it's not, is it? You know, it's just one system talking to another. It's it's your Fitbit talking to your phone. It's as simple as that. And I think... um, yeah, you do. You come, you come up about that a lot. If you haven't heard that episode, that is an earlier episode. It's Chloe's talking to Mike Taylor about that. So make sure you go and listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> Plug in other episodes. Why not? <laughs> um, but yeah, it, you know, it comes up, comes up quite often. It does. So I want to talk a bit, bit about kind of after sales care once you implement, implement a system. Um, so you often see 
on social media for other other types of organisations. Car sales is a big one for poor after sales care. Yeah. And generally software sales, it has a bad name. Um, and you see on social media review sites, people complaining about once they've given that money, the after sales is always, you know, it, not always, but, you know, it's often people complain about it. Um, so I guess... Why do you think that after sales is, is coming up so much as a problem? And what do you think people should look for when choosing a new system? I think that um, if a supplier focuses on the sale, as opposed to any other element of the relationship with that customer, then um, it will always be a problem. I think the reason that poor aftercare is quite often more frequent than great aftercare is because we're focusing on the sale and nothing else. And I think um, from personal experience, where I've experienced great aftercare, it's because I felt listened to, communicated with. um, I feel that we've built a relationship. I feel there's flexibility um, all the way through that relationship, both during the sale and following the sale as well. Um, And I think poor aftercare comes from walking away feeling that something is much more difficult than it should be but if you can change your focus slightly obviously sales are important we need to run a business and we need to make sure that that business is a success but if you only focus on the sale and you don't focus on anything else your churn will be so high that actually you're going to fail long term anyway i'm interested to find out have you got any examples of good or bad experiences with aftercare um, I think people have often got much more experience of poor aftercare <laughs> than they have of good aftercare. Um, I have lots of experience of, of poor aftercare. I don't want to name names because that would be absolutely <laughs> horrific. Um, but I, th- I think people do. And I think where you've experienced poor aftercare is because you don't feel listened to. It's because either you feel rushed or pressured into making a decision um, or people overpromise and underdeliver, or you need an element of flexibility further down the line and they're not able or they're unwilling to offer that. Mm-hmm. I think where you have great aftercare, you can almost imagine it being sort of the local service or the local business. You associate the local business with giving good aftercare. And that's because you can pop in really easily whenever mm-hmm. you need to. When you walk through the door you get there's a smile or you people remember you and, and ask after you. Um, you don't have to constantly remind them who you are and why you're there. Um, so I think as businesses get bigger, the challenge is to make sure that they don't lose the element of personalisation um, as a result of growing much larger as an organisation themselves. I think it's human nature to remember the bad, isn't it? It you is, know? yeah. That's why on review sites, you only ever see the complaints. You do. So you only ever see your low reviews. Yeah. But there's so much good in between that, and it's important, especially when implementing new systems, that you do put the spot- positive spin on it. It is. People are, are much faster to put a complaint on yeah. a review site than they are something positive. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's, it's sad for businesses, isn't it, as well, when they are doing good stuff, but... You often do see the negatives. Yeah, it's lost in the noise. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of life, I guess. It is. It is. (laughs) Um, So obviously being the head of customer experience, you focus a lot on on our aftercare, I guess, after sales care and their journey with Radar Healthcare. And one of our, especially when I speak to customers and, and partners, and they're always complimentary about it. 
they cannot say enough good good things about the people behind the brand I guess it must make you feel proud when you when you see things like that I am incredibly proud of everything we do at Radar Healthcare I think our teams are absolutely amazing I would never want any of our partners to experience buyer remorse Mm. it would be horrible so it's really heartwarming to have such positive feedback on such a regular basis and it's not something I've I've sort of experienced before. Um, I know from talking to the teams that everyone at Radar Healthcare truly believes in what we're trying to achieve and believes that our system is of benefit to everyone working within the, the health and social care sector. Um, and we really want to support those working on the front line so that they're able to see that in practice. So to have the opportunity to work so closely with our partners in making sure that that the rollout and use of our system as as a success and that they're able to achieve the outcomes that that they want to achieve makes me incredibly proud on a daily basis yeah yeah I agree like I've never experienced speaking to so many customers who who do compliment yeah and obviously every organization has problems and, and things that are brought up but it's it's the response to that problem and the response to that need from a from a partner um it makes me proud and I know it's something that Radar Healthcare are really focusing on improving the culture we're not kind of as we grow there's always going to be teething issues yeah but having you here having our new head of people and culture Hannah that is just you know it it shows how much of a focus we're putting on this element and yeah it's it's great to see and I'm glad you're here oh thanks Um, so we've gone through kind of all your tips or your thoughts. Let's summarise. What are your top three tips to a successful implementation? Okay, so I think the most important thing to do is identify the outcomes that you as an organisation are trying to achieve in implementing this system and take the time to do that properly and return to those outcomes on a regular basis. So don't write them down on a piece of paper and save it somewhere and forget all about them all the way through the project, all the way through implementation and through the whole lifespan of the of the system, make sure you return back to your outcomes. I think you should keep it simple and build on your success. So don't try to launch with a system that is all things to all people. Keep it simple, get it right and then build from that solid foundation. And my final tip would be always ask why. What everyone, whatever anyone says or does or requests, just keep asking why until you are completely confident in what you're trying to get to and you can be, can be confident that you can get there as well for them. Love it. Thanks, Chloe. So I've got a bit of a fun question to end the episode. So for every guest, we ask them, what is your what a health tech moment? Now, what this means is tell me a little bit about the weird, a weird and wonderful story that you've experienced in the health and social care world. If you can't think of weird and wonderful, that's fine. But just something that has made an impact has really sort of almost like a life changing moment for you. Have you got anything? I've got two. And okay. <laughs> neither of them I know I talk too much don't I Sorry. no you don't it's um, great <laughs> neither of them are something that I've directly experienced I've not worked in the sector before I joined Radar Healthcare um, but it's things that I've learnt whilst I've been enrolled so the first one is something that that shocked me slightly and thought we we need to do something that, to help with that um, obviously churning retention are massive issues for the sector 
everything you read, all the articles, all the studies are about how there's loads of vacancy in the sector, people are leaving because they're not happy and we need to do something about it, how difficult it is to recruit. At the moment, there are over 100,000 vacancies in the sector alone. Um, And turnover is about 30%, Mm. which is absolutely massive, which means that last year, about 7% of roles were vacant. And it causes issues both for the people working in the sector, but also people who need to make use of the sector as well, people who need help. And the stat that really shocked me was, I've got to read this because otherwise I'll get it wrong. It says, if the adult social care workforce grows proportionately to the projected number of people aged 65 and over in the population, then the number of jobs will increase by 29% by 2035. Wow. (laughs) So if we are struggling to recruit into that sector and keep people in that sector now, how are we ever going to do that by 2035? So we need to make some really big changes to support that sector so that people are able to care for people properly and give them the life that they need um, and do their jobs, but are able to do everything else that we ask of them as well. It really scared me. The second thing um, that just filled me with joy, so it's a really nice one. Um, I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago which was called Free to Be Me. Um, and it was in a publication, a care publication, and it was about a care home called Oakley Care Home. And they have supported a resident called Michael in his desire to wear feminine clothes and in his words have made him feel beautiful, loved Aww. and free. And just the positive response from that care home in acknowledging and supporting this side of Michael had a massive, dramatic impact on his quality of life, but it just filled me with joy. And it's hearing stories like that on a daily basis, which makes me so proud and so thankful to be working within the sector. Oh, that's so lovely. I've got a tear in my eyes. I know, it's just so nice. such a nice story. (laughs) I love hearing stories like that. It just just makes you so happy that you're working in this industry. Yeah. We're making such an impact. Yeah, where people care. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week and thank you to everyone for listening. So next week, we're going to hear from Tom Porteous. So Tom is the founder and CEO of Iatro. They help support primary care organisations to improve patient and client communication. Don't forget to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions for our guests, for us, for Chloe, then please email whatthehealthtech at radarhealthcare.com. Thanks.